Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. As always, the podcast brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. You can visit them online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com or on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate. Let's get right to the mailbag. Lots going on. Lots of questions here. We're going to start with Apple Orange, who wants to know, Two questions. Do you think that the financial squeeze of the COVID-19 crisis could have an effect on the size of the SEC? Meaning, could it lead to dropping or adding teams to the league in the future? Do you think that Vanderbilt would ever leave the conference? What teams make the most sense to add to the SEC? I don't think the virus is going to mean that you're going to, you know, have conference expansion or you're going to reduce the number of conference teams based on, on that. I will say this about Vanderbilt. I think if I'm Greg Sankey, I've said this on a couple of radio shows, including in Nashville, Rob, I think if you're the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference and your motto is it just means more, I think the first question you have to ask Vanderbilt is where's your level of athletic commitment? You've not put any money into your facilities. Memorial Gym's not had an upgrade. There's been talk about how bad Commodore Stadium is. They've just eliminated their sports information department. So if I'm Greg Sankey, the first question I'm going to ask the the new leadership at Vanderbilt is what's your commitment level to athletics? Because if I'm in the SEC and I'm the commissioner of the SEC, I want my 14 teams to be all in on athletics. I I mean, I agree, but I mean, you got to wonder, you know, is there a protocol? I'm sure there is a protocol in place, but what is it? I mean, to vote somebody out of the conference. I mean, you'd probably have to establish, you know, some clear legal language about what your bare – you know, the minimum level commitment is when you're talking about dollars, but uh, Vanderbilt's not going anywhere on, on their own. I guarantee you that they probably, I mean, I'd have to see the numbers, but I bet they get more return on investment for what they put in than, than any team in the league when they cut that check every May and Destin. Oh, there's no question. Do, do you think though that, I mean, it would, of course, I don't know the protocol on this either, but would it almost be like, you know, when a, when a restaurant gets a bad score, they get so much time to kind of get the score up before they abolish them. Um, you know, and to answer this question of what teams make the most sense, well, you got to look at the state of Virginia and the state of North Carolina because neither one of those states have teams that are SEC teams. Whereas, like, you know, South Carolina is not going to okay a Clemson move into this league, nor would Clemson want to move into this league. They have a cakewalk at the ACC. Georgia's not going to approve Georgia Tech. You know, I mean, you can go right down the line. Florida's not going to want Florida State. Yeah, I mean – it makes the most sense to add maybe an NC State um, or a Virginia Tech uh, more so than it does to add anybody else, at least in my mind. Yeah, I think Virginia Tech's the one that makes the most sense. I have a hard time or, or, or go West Virginia. Never makes it never made made sense to be the to have them in the Big Twelve. West Virginia and then Virginia Tech potentially, and then shift Missouri. To the west. To the, to the west. I like I like Missouri going to the west. I, 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 I'm with you, Austin. I think Virginia Tech makes a lot of sense. I think West Virginia and the Big 12 makes no sense, Rob, when you look at how much money they're having to spend on travel to play conference teams the way they are. I mean, it, it's got to be costing them a fortune. I don't think anybody from the state of North Carolina is going to break up Tobacco Road and the and the I don't old think four, so either. The old four NC corners State to me would deal. be that one team that potentially could. Yeah, that they're an original founding deal. I mean, they're they're in there. I mean, they don't have the, you know, they don't have necessarily the reputation of Duke and Carolina. You know, from a basketball standpoint. What about Wake right Forest? Now. Get John Curry back in the league, baby. 
you know, but I mean, you go look at the history of that, of the ACC, it's those four, it's the, it's the research triangle that created that league, Rob. I just don't see any of those guys breaking up. No, I don't think you're I, I don't think that, I completely agree with you. I mean, those guys are the founding fathers of that league. And Well, and Virginia Tech was, well, you know, it was a transplant from the old Big East. So sure. it would make sense for them not to have the, the big ties to the ACC. Um, and, you know, even like adding on Louisville, Kentucky's never going to be okay with that. So <clears throat> unless you've already got two teams from a state like Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Auburn, Alabama, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, these other schools I don't think are going to be okay with adding another league school in that's in their own state. And I don't think the SEC is expanding anytime soon. All right, second question he has, worst-case hypothetical. Let's say the week of Tennessee versus Kentucky, an overwhelming number of Wildcat players test positive and need to be quarantined. So many that the team is unable to play the game. How would that be scored? Would that be a win for Tennessee and a loss for Kentucky? Or would there be a separate category for a forfeit? You kids do an awesome job. Keep up the good work. Appreciate that, Dad. Um, that. I think that's an interesting question on how that would be viewed. It's something that the TSSAA talked about this week, uh, Austin, and, and their voting. They just they would rule that a not in, in the high school ranks. They're going to rule it a non-contest. There is no win. There is no loss. Is the way I understood it from the meeting. One wonders if the college ranks would not do the same thing and just say it was an it was a yeah because it's not really fair. I mean, you know, it's not fair if it happened to Tennessee. It's not happened if it fared. If it happened, if it in, in you know to the benefit of Tennessee, um, you know I, none of these kids are, you know if there's a season and we all hope there is, but I mean if if there is one, you know these kids are out here playing, you know if something happens and a team gets hit with it, you know it's just unfortunate and I don't think you can hold it against them. All right, and how, how are you going to manage conference races and you know that that kind of thing? I guess you'd just go percentage points. I guess That's would you cool. not? Yeah, and nobody gets a percentage point for that game, you know, um, because it's not necessarily anybody's fault. Uh, at least that's what – I mean, again, I'm just basing that off of the conversation that the TSSAA had in their meeting. I don't know where the SEC is, it, but that's one way you could certainly do it. All right, let's go to Volunteer87, who's got two questions here. What are the steps and timeline uh, COVID slowdowns aside for the one-time transfer idea to become a reality? Number two, sounds like UT waited a long time to file Cade's appeal. Pruitt Fulmer seemed to be methodical uh, to forget to file it or file it. So what? So while it appears to be sloppy, I have a hard time believing it wasn't delayed for a reason. Am I giving them too much credit? If not, and you think it was delayed for a reason, what do you think are any guesses as to why they waited? Let's let's well, start I, with – go ahead. I was going to say let's start with Cade. Yeah. I don't – I think they waited because – they wanted to see if the one-time transfer, which goes back to his first question, was going to happen. If it happens, then there was no point to have somebody compile a million pages of documentation to to say this is why K. May should be eligible because he was going to get rubber stamped at that point. Um, you know, once it went, you know, against the one-time waiver this year, then uh, Tennessee started putting their case together. And I think they did take their time to make sure that they had all of their ducks in a row to present the best case possible. Yeah, and I'll Much say like this. they did a year ago with Aubrey Solomon. Yep. A year ago, Tennessee's case for Aubrey Solomon did not go in until late. Everybody thought it was in for months, and it wasn't, you know. And thus, there's this angst right. this year. Angst. And why is there angst? Only because JT Daniels' ruling came back already. If JT Daniels' ruling had not come back, 
then it would not be as big a deal. But because the JT Daniels thing came back, the angst to me is, is, is way more. Well, but I think you're starting – I mean, Florida State had two players ruled upon um, this week. I mean, you're starting to see a lot of rulings taking place, and everybody knows that, you know, the Cade May stuff is just recently there. We had this in the war room earlier. I mean, Tennessee's not in a panic mode, but there's concern there. I mean, it, it's, it certainly does not – and talking to people does not feel like the automatic laydown I thought this was going to be um, several months ago, even when, the, even when we got word that the, you know, the one-time transfer deal was going to get tabled, and that, was, that notion was out there in late March, 1st of April. I don't think Georgia's fighting it. I, I don't think Georgia's protesting it. I, I, just, I think they're kind of staying out of it at this point. I don't think they've signed off that, hey, it's all great that he's at Tennessee, that he's at Tennessee. but I don't think they're compiling a list. I think they've just kind of abstained and not got into the middle of it at all at all so um you know, we'll, we'll see what happens I think this one's going to go for a bit I don't think I mean I think it's going to be you know pretty good ways into August before we get an answer on, on the situation with Cade Mays I may be wrong but it's certainly what it feels like it's going to be at this point in time again a delayed start in my mind only gives them more time though so I give you a mid a mid a mid-August decision on a normal start would be, you know, about what happened with Aubrey Solomon or, or there around that same time frame, a mid-August with a late start, and it's like, you know, not a big deal in my mind. All right, let's go to C.D. Vall. How would you describe the current state of recruiting on both lines of scrimmage? Seems like Tennessee's struggling to gain some traction with some of its top targets on both the offense and the defensive line. Is that fair? Um, I don't know. I, uh, offensive line, maybe. I mean – you know, they, Tennessee took a lot of guards last year. They're trying to take a bunch of tackles in this current class. Um, Which are harder I, to find. Harder to find. Um, they, no traction with Dietrich Pennington. I mean, he's talked to him a little bit, but, I, you know, to get back in that one, I think that one, you know, you got to hope that Dietrich, you know, is going to take that one all the way to, you know, December. Um, but, I mean, they've got good traction with a guy like Diego Pounds. But, again, we've talked about Diego Pounds likes the recruiting process. He likes to be recruited, and I don't think he's shutting it down anytime soon. So, thus, it feels like there's not a ton of traction there because he's not ready to jump in the boat. Well, and I think, William, the, I, I think the William Parker or, you know, William Griffith Parker deals a little bit unsettling because of the love, you know, his, his affinity or his affection for Alabama. You were hope, you know, I think fans were hoping in-state kid, mid-state, not that it would be a laydown, but that maybe Tennessee would be um, – would be I think everybody thought once way. Alabama got three linemen in about two days that, you know, it was going to be numbers were going to take care of themselves. But Alabama clearly is going to take, I think, four if not five linemen. So, uh, thus, Parker is still very much a take at Alabama. And then on the defensive side, they're, I mean, they're in it for Ingrams, Dawkins. You know, they've been in it for Page as far as they could. I think that's ultimately going to be Clemson. But, but they've got some good players on the defensive line. I, I don't think that they've – Maybe a pass rusher short, you know, from where they want to be. Or, I mean, they, they love what they've got out of Isaac Washington. They love Katron Evans. You know, yeah, they, they'd love to add a pass rusher, you know, whether that's Christian Zachary, whether that's, you know, uh, somebody else. You know, they would – you know, but, I mean, Tennessee was – it just – getting Javari Ritzy was going to be tough, you know, once North Carolina started to recruit in-state the way they did. Um, you know, and, again, Peyton Page – you and I kind of walked out of that meeting over there with him that day and said, 
he looks awesome. Looks just awesome. And we both kind of wondered aloud, has he lost this weight because Clemson wanted to see him get in better shape? So, you know, only time will tell, but it sure felt that way when we left there. Yeah. Let's go to Bud Wrigley. Uh, over the tenure of Jeremy Pruitt, UT has usually led power fives and offers to players. Can you talk a little bit about what being offered really means? I hear you mention things as committable offers. Can you clarify the different types of offers? Rob Lewis, you want to tackle what an offer, what an offer means? You want to tackle to that me, one first? I mean, to me, I think different programs handle it differently, but I, I think pretty clearly in Tennessee's case, it means, hey, we're, we're offering you. We're really interested in you. Now, that doesn't mean a kid can be like, oh, oh awesome, I'm gonna, and then pick up the phone and call and, and commit. I mean, I think, I think there's probably been a lot more instances of that happening early in the process that, than we even know about, where, you know, they would say, hey, we want you to come to camp first, or, hey, you know, hey let's wait and see your, your senior film, that kind of thing. I, I think it's just a way to, to kind of get your foot in the door and, and get kids thinking about you. Now, I, I tell you, on the basketball side, it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. It, Maybe some places, but but not not at Tennessee. And I, I think that's it's way 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 less of a common practice. Well, I, I think I think it was a football thing. I mean, you think about it. You you go back a, a year ago, uh, or is it two two years ago? Tennessee's you know recruiting the mid state, and and you know the the young man that signed with Georgia over there. I, names escaping me right now. Um, you know, but he, they wanted him to come camp, and eventually. You know, Alabama beat him to the punch. Georgia beat him to the punch with the offers. And Tennessee ended up just throwing him a token offer, even though they didn't really want to, just to get him to come, to come camp. And so Zion Logan's his name. And, um, you know, I, I think every year you see that. You know, I mean, I, you know, does Prince Colley have all these committable offers? Could he go to Georgia if he wanted to? I don't know. I mean, maybe he could. But, that you know, Tennessee offers several kids every year you know, and kind of just kind of let's see where, you know, hey, let's let's go ahead and get in the race, you know. And, and I think you see that a lot, you know. You know, look at a guy like Demarius McGee. I think that one's down to Tennessee and Ole Miss. But he's got offers from Georgia and Alabama. Could he commit to those schools? I want to say no. But to me, there's a difference between, you know, a kid that never gets those kind of token offers, then there's the kids that get token offers, and then there's the kids that get the, the committable offers. So, like, you know, I, as long as you're getting kids that ha, that those schools have expressed interest in, to me that's not a bad thing. Um, but every year, Tennessee and and all these schools, you know, throw offers out there, and sometimes they'll love to come back and say, "Well, he wasn't committed, and well, even though he went somewhere else." But you know, in it, some instances, he didn't have a committable offer. Well, and with with a lot of handlers and people involved in in those type oh, things, yeah. party people. Hey, we want your kid to come to camp. Well, he'll come to camp, but you got to offer these guys. Yeah, yep. that's a great okay. Point. Okay, well, we'll offer him with no intentions of ever taking him, but but they they get to come back and say, you know. But the my, perception is for that right. kid that he got a Bama offer. Well, and the, per, and the perception is for that guy running that organization that's that's helping kids. He gets to go tell future parents, well, look, I've got you know my fourteen seniors this year have forty seven offers, and they're from X, X, Y, and Z. So and there's all kinds of cat and mouse stuff that's going on. I think in more so in football than in basketball more than ever you've got to offer a kid to get in the door with him it's not the case in basketball I think it's more like that in a lot of places in football 
than it's ever been. All right, let's go to Pine. Go ahead. I was just going to say basketball, you, I think the reason for that is the coaches have so much of a better chance to evaluate these kids in competitive settings with, you know, against, against the same kind of talent they're going to see in college. So I think you can be a lot more sure as opposed to, you know, needing the kid to come to camp. And That's a great point. I mean, just the AAU circuit and how competitive it is, top guys going against other top guys, you don't get that in football. No. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, summer camps for a few days, it's not the same. Well, and in basketball, it's not about bringing a kid to your campus for a camp. It's about seeing him in those deals, and coaches get to see him all the time, as you guys have mentioned. All right, Pine Mountain Ball. With the Pope news, does the staff trust Fant, or is there a different plan? What are some options you think Cheney will look at? Do you think they'll look for a transfer tight end, and would they have time to learn the offense at this point? You know, let me, Do they let me, trust Fant? I, wanna, I think they trust him more now than they did a year ago. Um, I think that he's, he's definitely going to be the guy that gets the first opportunity. But I think they would change how they do things, Brent, as in like change their scheme, not run as many, you know, uh, two tight end sets, a lot more 11 personnel. And then, you know, just, you know, use Fant in a different way than maybe they used Austin Pope or, or DWA. You know, use, use D Beckwith, you know, in a different way because they're, they're different type of athletes. Um, well, so I, I do think that, you know, they trust Fant more than they did a year ago, but do they trust him enough to roll into that role completely? No, I think it would be some type of hybrid of what we've seen. Well, I think they trust him a lot more because he's the lone wolf in the room. There's not a whole lot else in the room in terms of guys who've lined up and played. So I think you suddenly trust him a lot more because that's your, your best, you're clearly your best option at this point. As for a transfer tight end, Rob, I think the transfer thing is interesting because with the unknowns of a season, do you want to take a transfer at this point and cost yourself an initial scholarship for next year's class, knowing that you might not have a full season or if you're going to have a season or, or what you're going to have? Um, so I think that's a factor in there with transfers um, as much as anything else at this point. So I, I don't know. Or seniors going to get another year of eligibility. How's that, what's that going to do to the – to the numbers. I mean, you're going to have well, they go above the 85. Okay, so you're going to have 110, you know, in for one year. Uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty with that. And yeah. I think there's a lot of uncertainties, which leads coaches to a lot of uncertainties on what to do with transfers at this point. Uh, LF ball wants to know, what does the staff do if they whiff on TID page and Malone? And can you see McGee being the only DB addition, assuming that they don't lose a, another D, DB who's currently committed? No, I think that they want to add other guys, either whether it's Nylon Green or Christian Charles or Terry on Arnold. You know, I think Tennessee wants to add other DBs in this class uh, besides Demarius McGee. So I think it's more of a uh, trade-up type thing than it is anything else. All right, let's uh, roll on here. And is – uh, Colsey, a prospect that Tennessee is legitimately pursuing compared to TID, Page, Munden, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, Tennessee's recruiting uh, Deion Colsey quite hard. But, I mean, you know, I, I just think that, that right now that they're below Florida, below Auburn, and somewhere in the realm of Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Alabama are kind of in that, you know, right there in a pack right behind those first two. All right. Vol Lover here wants perspective from all three of us. Rob, I'll start with you on this one. He wants to know what you think makes the most sense for college football in 2020. Not just not just asking what you think college football will do, just strictly your opinions on if they play, how the season should be structured, when should it start, how many games, number of fans, 
et cetera, given what we know to date about the virus. If you're in charge of college football right now, Rob, how you structuring the SEC? I'm a lot, as you guys know, a lot less conservative than a lot of people on this. I mean, I think conference, conference game, limited schedule, li- very limited fans. And I'm not sure. I mean, I, I would, I'm okay with no fans. But, uh, and this is an interesting thing. Me and you talked about it a little bit the other day that somebody had thrown at me that um, the advertising dollars that TV is potentially going to be able to get if there are no fans in the stands. I mean, there could be, it could be significant. I mean, when the starved as people are for sports, I mean, they could be able to like jack up the rates a little bit. Uh, someone indicated to me that maybe there could be a plan in place to kind of give the conferences more, you know, if that's the, if that's the case to kind of increase the payout that they make the conferences. Because I mean, when, I mean, think about it, when Alabama and Auburn play and, you know, fans haven't you know seen live sports in a year, that's going to be like the last episode of MASH, <laughs> you know, <laughs> A lot of people watching, no question. No so question. I, I would play. I would. I would cut down on travel as much as possible. Really take a hard look at what you're going to do with the fans. But I would play. Austin, what are you doing? I'm playing. You know, you play? I, I don't. I don't are, you, yeah. are you playing twelve? Are you playing a regular season? Let's go right now. Or are you playing? Yeah, I am. I mean, like, what's the difference between ten and twelve? Like this whole notion of like, well, we'll cut it down to, you know just conference games. I mean, yeah, I guess in, in a worst case scenario, you know, you, you cut it down to that and just get through it. And that way you have a season and you're not trying to move things to spring, which has a whole different set of issues in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, I, I guess, you know, we saw the report on Thursday night that the ACC is looking at a 10 game conference schedule, one non-conference game. So 11, What's the difference? It's one more game. Like, I don't understand this whole, you know, to me it's just either – it's either play or let's just all go in, sit on our hands, and, and wait for the vaccine to be here. I, I, it, to me, like, I don't understand this whole, like, well, we can play nine or ten a couple more weeks. I mean, I just – I guess I don't get it. Now, don't get me wrong. I hate sitting through the Furmans and Chattanoogas and East Tennessee State type games. But, you know, uh, well, I just want there to be football, ultimately. If, if, there, if there's not going to be a full season, which there's not, I, I like the plus one model because I think it holds some rival games intact. It's easy for the SEC to do because 11 of your 14 teams already have a game scheduled with an ACC or a Big 12 opponent. Yep. Um, so I, I like that part. Um, I, I do like the fact that the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC are trying to sort of work together here. And this, that's kind of a nice luxury for the Power Five. Somebody needs to kind of get in charge of a little something. Um, but if you're not going to play the full season, I'm all about the plus one deal. Um, as for fans, you know, I'm not sure the NFL is going to have fans in the stands when it's all said and done. Um, I, I get the liability concern. So, um, well, you see what Fox did with baseball, man. We can, we can have the virtual fans. Up. <laughs> Let's put some virtual fans out there. I so I don't know. I mean, I would like to see a, you know 20, 20 to forty thousand fans in the stands, but I just don't think that right now. I don't think that's realistic at all. So I, I can, you know, I mean, we all would want in a you know we all want just a regular season, but I don't think that's realistic. So I'm can, going. Can't plus you one. see the like the twenty thousand fans hubs, and you got Tennessee and Florida, and they get to overtime, and every Tennessee fan says, "Forget social distancing. We're just <laughs> going to go to the end zone that they're oh, going yeah. towards." 
Absolutely. And stop us, telling them to stop us. At that, at that point, they might just go out on the field, line up at the 50 so they can watch going in at that point. You know what I mean? Because they're only playing. Can we, get Butch, can, can we get Butch and Thomas Edwards on a, on a, on a, uh, on a microphone? Circle it up, circle of life during a TV timeout. Maybe we can do that. Uh, let's go to 68 ball fan. Do you feel Tennessee, that Tennessee having nearly completed its current recruiting classes hurt them? with the remaining blue chip guys that are available. Typically great no. players want to play it with other great players. And with only a few spots left, there isn't room for a group of game changers without the negativity of sending commi- committed players on the, on their way. I, I don't think it's hurt them in any way, shape, or form. And they would send committed players on their way. Yeah, without any yeah. doubt about that. Um, Runner Ball wants to know, what does it mean that Dante Plowman is on the presidential commission? Is she a front person or a true thinker and leader uh, what is their agenda? Are the Power Five going to separate from the NCAA? I, I don't know what that committee does. I can say I can tell you this: uh, Dante Plowman has a great reputation in academics. Um, she did when she was at Nebraska, and um, I, I think that's carried over to Tennessee. I don't know exactly what all they do. Um, I don't think that it has everything to do with athletics by any means. Um, I think the Power Five separating from the NCAA, Rob, this is going to be kind of fascinating to watch how this fall plays out with the NCAA really having little say maybe in what happens in terms of conferences scheduling games. I mean, I think it makes all the sense in the world for them to do it in football. I mean, I'm certain without question. Basketball is a whole other matter because the NCAA, you know, that's that's their tournament. And you you have more than – you know, you have programs like Gonzaga. You have the Big East where, you know, you have that's, – that's a really good conference that doesn't have football. So, I mean, to me, that's, that's really problematic because in, in football, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, do you think there's a scenario where the Power Five secedes in football, but, you know, the basketball still is under the NCAA umbrella? I mean, that seems kind of untenable to me, but – because it makes so much sense in football and because there's so much money involved, I could honestly see that happening down the road. All right. Runner Ball has got a follow-up question for you, Rob. Are all the men's basketball players back in town and practicing with basketball being an indoor sport? And it seems like maybe a vaccine would be available November, December timeframe from at least two different companies. Have you heard anything about either delaying the start of basketball to January are starting the season with nowhere limited crowds. What do you think is going to happen? Vaccines aside, what do you think is going to happen with a basketball season this week? I was, I was really surprised. I, I was talking with somebody who was some, some intimate knowledge of the situation the other day, and he expressed a, a lot of confidence that they were going to start on time and be unaffected as far as playing the games. And what will fans and the arenas look like? That's a totally – I think that's a separate issue. But uh, I was thinking that, you know, pushing it back to January and maybe just doing conference only was going to be a real – possible scenario but um you know somebody that knows a lot more about it than me thought they were going to be playing in november and as far as all the team uh viscovy's still not here unless it just happened yet today or yesterday i checked on that on tuesday and uh don't think he's going to come until right around the time to start classes just because he's able to do so much more at home than he would be able to here and i mean they're they're not practicing coaches are able to work individually with players not they're not doing stuff in groups they're certainly not playing five on five. And so they're, they're having coaches this week. We're able to start working with guys, but I, I wouldn't call it practicing. All right. A couple of questions and we're out the gate here. Navy guy 44 wants some updates on how the current team looks right now. Give him a nugget. 
Austin Price. Give him a nugget on somebody. We've talked about the wide receivers. Still hearing a lot about those those guys. I think I think this staff is pretty pleased with where a guy like um, Wanye Morris is right now, coming off the hip surgery. I think they like what they what they see out of out of him at this point in, in his development, and, and kind of like where this offensive line is and their physical growth and development. Again, that, that's a position played in pads, but I, I think they, you know, they feel like there's they got that going, and, and I think there's some confidence in a guy like Alante Taylor maybe taking on more of a leadership role. He's been a more consistent worker, I think, Austin, over the course of the last, really since the end of the, since the bowl game, and as you mentioned last week or a couple of weeks ago, the way he finished the season, I think, has carried him into this unusual off season. Yeah, there's some hope with Roman Harrison that he's going to take a huge step in what will be a redshirt freshman campaign. Um, and, and then flipping it back to the offensive side of the ball, you're right, the receivers have, have continued to uh, garner a lot of attention. And then from the youngster standpoint at running back, there's some intrigue with a guy like T. Hodge, who, uh, you know, uh, is, is a bigger back compared to the other guys in that room. All right, Pine Mountain Vol wants AP or wants all of us to jump in here on an AP-style question. Who's going to have a sneaky season that nobody's talking about? Rob Lewis? Uh, I mean, I don't know that nobody's talking about him, but I, th- I like Romel Keaton. I mean, I think that's going to be a guy that you see take a, a, a big step forward from, uh, you know, what you saw as a freshman and, and develop it over the course of the offseason. I, mean, I, I, I like his skill set. I, I, I like that he was a bit – he was a much bigger part of the offense in the bowl game than he was in the regular season, which tells me, you know, the coaches – you know, saw something in him, took some time to work with him. And, and when he got his chance, he made a, he made a big play in that game. Um, defensively, same thing. I'm not sure if nobody's talking about it, but I like, like Jalen McCullough to make, to take a step. I'm going to stay with the Jalen's and say Jalen Hyatt has a sneaky good freshman year. And then people are talking about him now, but I'll go back to Princeton Fant, who I think athletically has everything they would like at the tight end spot. I'm going to take, and, and this is, he's a more of a proven player, but I don't think he gets talked about. It's kind of forgotten about because nobody saw him in the spring. You going with Henry? Yeah. I'm going to jump out there and say Henry. That's a, I think Henry's going to be a pretty good player. I think he may have a sneaky good sophomore season there, AP. I'm going to go with Velas Jones. I don't think anybody hey, talks about Velas Jones. Great, that's a great one. I'm going to go with Velas Jones because I, I forget he's on the team half the time when you talk about the wide receivers. So, uh, I'm going to take a little a little Velas Jones, and I think um, a guy like Kenneth George is going to factor in in a rotation and be more of a factor in the defensive side of the ball. He's not, I don't think he's going to beat out Bryce Thompson or Alante Taylor, but he might play well enough that you can free up one of those guys to move into your rabbits package in a different place, or, or they can move them around a little bit, create some versatility there. Um, last question, we're out the gate here. Who is the backup kicker and punter for this year? I don't know. Anybody else know? They they got a kid from what Connecticut or whatever. Yeah, they got they got the punter, the transfer punter in from Connecticut. Yeah, Um, I I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I I think he'll I think he'll end up pushing. He might. I mean, Brooks. I don't I don't know exactly what they're gonna. I mean, I don't know what they're gonna look like at at those two positions behind what they have right now. Um, You know, this is obviously would have been a huge spring for Brooks to nail things down. He will have some competition. I don't think Brett. I just think they get Brett Samagli in a in a bubble and make sure he doesn't get hurt so that he can line up and and be ready to ready to kick because I don't know who the backup to him would be uh, at this point. That'll be an open tryout for Tennessee, basically for a backup kicker 
when they head into fall camp. Hey, we all know the summer heat is here. The most practical thing you can do to avoid wasting money this time of year is to have your cooling system clean and tuned up. It's a fact that if you don't, your energy bills are going to be higher. It's just like not tuning up your car. Your system will be at a greater risk of an expensive repair. That's why Blue Water's tune-up comes with two fantastic customer guarantees. First, if your system wasn't tuned up last year, they'll guarantee $100 energy savings this summer or they'll refund your $79.99 for the tune-up. Second, if they tune up your system and it needs a repair this summer, you'll get a 20% off that repair discount. Speaking of repairs, Blue Water Climate Control is committed to doing the repair the right way the first time, and all repairs come with a one-year guarantee. Call Blue Water Climate Control at 865-299-2290, or, book to book an, or you can book an appointment online. Go to bluewaterclimatecontrol.com, pick a day and time that works best for you. That is our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control, locally owned and operated here, so check them out. That's going to do it for this mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. For Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great uh, rest of your Friday, everybody.